good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you from the Coming Home Network International. Uh, but you're hearing us over EWTN Radio, and I'm, I'm glad you're tuning in. Whether you're listening to us over radio or the Internet or maybe connected at EWTN.com or the Coming Home Network website or all the other options uh, which our Lord has provided for us today. Um, I'm mentioning media which is pertinent because our guest for today is definitely connected to media. Dan Burke, welcome to Deep in Scripture. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, Marcus. We uh, This is essentially uh, a follow-up to Monday night's Journey Home program in which Dan was able to uh, share his journey. Uh, we listed him as a, a former uh, Jew, but uh, you had a lot of steps in between. Oh, there were a lot, many steps in between. Yes. <laughs> Let me read you a little... Uh, just a little bio of Dan. Uh, if you didn't hear the the Monday night program, I would encourage you to go to EWTN.com or chnetwork.org. There's a number of ways you can rehear the Journey Home program as well as watch EWTN. It's rebroadcast. But Dan is a husband, father, author, executive director of EWTN's National Catholic Register. He has held executive positions with multiple for-profit, non-profit, Corporations, including Circle Media, the parent company of Circle Press, the National Catholic Register, prior to the EWTN acquisition, Catholic.net, and Faith and Family Magazine. Dan has been published on the topics of teamwork, communication, corporate strategy, and technology, and has a book coming out next year on the topic of spiritual direction in the interior life. That book's a little a different angle than the other books. Oh, much different angle. <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, and it was a delight to go down a different path than the business path, that's for sure. Well, because behind those business paths, the spiritual life and direction was there. You just couldn't talk about it in those other books. Well, and certainly after I became Catholic, it was uh, much more meaningfully there. So, yeah, it was a pleasure to leave that behind. It's a different calling, different world. <laughs> thank thank the Lord. Yes, right? definitely. Uh, Dan's spiritual journey began in Judaism, matured into a living relationship with Christ in evangelical Christianity, and after 15 years of exploration, has found his home in the Catholic Church. Dan has served in an advisory capacity to Fellowship of Catholic University students, and I'm a strong supporter of. Yeah, of folks. great organization. Yeah, yeah the, the president is the, the godfather oh, of my youngest son, Curtis. Curtis and Michael Ann. And he founded the most widely read blog dedicated to Catholic spirituality. You're yeah. involved with, with yeah. that, um, uh, RC spiritualdirection.com, which yeah. is really not offering direction, but it's offering resources. Yeah, right? it's, it's simply a, a place where people can go to get answers to their questions on the spiritual life, whether it be prayer or um, how to deepen their life in relationship with Christ, that sort of thing. So, no, we don't give spiritual direction, right. but it's a, it's a site about how to um, deepen your spiritual life. And it's about what spiritual direction is about. So it's a combination. Before we jump into the passage that you've chosen, which is John chapter 14, 15 through 27, which is great. I'm excited to get into that great text. Except how could you cover that in? How can we cover that we, in 15 minutes? So, we'll have to, so this is the beginning of 14 new shows. That were, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not really. For but it's, I find it fascinating to think about that. If you don't believe that you can grow in grace, if you don't believe that you can grow closer to Jesus, if you don't believe in our necessity of growing in deeper union with him, you could read John 14 and get done with it in 15 minutes. But once you believe in the call to be deeper in the Lord, that's when Scripture takes on many more dimensions than you ever realized before. Many more dimensions. I, I think the idea that I came out of in, in the evangelical world was, as we discussed on the show, the juridical pronouncement of, uh, of um, ju you know, being justified or cleansed before God on the basis of Christ's redemption. All of that, you know, has, a, has a, an important element of truth in it. But that's not the end. That's the beginning. If that's our beginning, that is only the beginning. But there's this process that we go through of growing closer to the Lord and knowing him better. He's not a distant God of law and contracts. He became flesh. Yeah, the, I almost hate to ask a few questions because we'll 
we'll never get to the scripture. Um, <laughs> because there is a, oh, do I dare do it, a radical, different understanding of the issue of merit. Oh, yeah. Between where you and I came from in our Calvinism. Yeah. And at the Catholic core of spiritual growth. Right, right. Because as Calvinists, there's no place for merit yeah. in anything that we do yeah. in our right. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's it's it's done. There, you, you, if the idea that you can merit anything is really stealing from God's uh, great sovereignty and provision and grace, rather than recognizing that maybe God put this in place for us in order to deepen that relationship with Him to build a, a stronger bridge between us. Uh, to know one another more fully and to live that life in particular in a way that's more in keeping with who he's called us to be. But, yeah, it was completely foreign. That idea is completely foreign. And and I, I dare say, Dan, as both of us as converts of the church, I, I know I'm still on a journey of understanding it fully. That's why I'm hesitant to even bring it up because I'm not sure I would ex- explain it correctly. Yeah, well, and I'm no expert. I, I think that uh, one of the beauties of uh, one of the most beautiful things about the Catholic Church is the uh, unfathomable depth of yeah. uh, spiritual insight into Christ himself, into his great work on our behalf, into how it is that we engage with God in this wonderful plan of redemption, not just for us but for the whole world. Yeah. Uh, it's, but it's all, it's all a wonderful exploration process, isn't it? Uh, we don't go into discussion on yeah. merit, folks. Go to uh, any number of websites. If if I've raised a, a, a red flag for you that will talk about the Catholic perspective on merit, you go to the Catholic Encyclopedia so we understand it, or the Catechism is, of course, the main thing I always recommend. But the only reason I bring that up is to emphasize the mystery in our salvation that is a combination in a mysterious way of of the total grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and yet our responsibility of obedience and faith. Yeah, and that's a that's a battle we have to fight through to understand. It is a great mystery. I think Saint Paul calls it a mystery, and it's something that we can't know purely from reading words on a page, uh, whether or not they're inspired by God in Scripture or or the Fathers or any of the teachings of the Church. Much of that mystery has to be internalized through that real relationship with Christ. Yeah, so. yeah. And uh, when I, w- on my journey to the church, uh, one thing that I came to recognize is that a big difference between our Catholic understanding, let's say, in the area of spirituality, or even interpreting this passage in John fourteen, which deals a lot about. Um, the union between the Father and our Lord and, and they and us and, and all of what that means, huh? that w- w- was this true for you, that it seems that a problem amongst non-Catholics is a need to uh, distinguish between either or. It's either this or it's that. Right. It can't be this or. As Catholics, we much more comfortably accept the mystery of the both and. Yeah, I <clears throat> I think even in our selection, both of our selection of Calvinism as a predominant framework theologically, I think we were probably drawn to it because yeah. of the the very hard black and white lines that it draws uh, theologically. But in many senses, it uh, violates mystery because it digs deeper than Scripture reveals at times. Yeah. Um, and digs into areas of definition that the church has never even brought clarity to. But um, it also, in so doing, hyper-intellectualizes our faith. <clears throat> so we leave the person of Christ to that point in time of the sinner's prayer or whatever. We leave that in behind, in a sense, and we, we dig into all of these doctrinal distinctions. Uh, it'd be similar to me getting married and and spending all my time working on the contract between my wife and I and not on the consummation and then the living out of that loving relationship in faith, which brings about a much different uh, effect. I think Paul said that love love, uh, 
builds up, but knowledge puffs up. And I, I found a great deal more humility in the Catholic Church, uh, though I'm grateful for my, my evangelical background. But just that recognition that mystery is mystery and allowing it oftentimes to, to remain as mystery, but also encouraging to delve into that mystery. What does it really mean to encounter the God of the universe in the person of Christ, either in prayer or at, uh, in partaking of the Eucharist? Uh, it, a lot of these things are very difficult to explain. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're working on a book on, on Catholic spirituality, as we mentioned, uh, spiritual direction in the, in the interior life. And I don't remember in my Calvinist Protestant world having a place for the passive purgation of the senses. <laughs> yeah. Right? No, <clears throat> not at all. No. It, it's the, the difficulty I think we both had in, in what I experienced is that I really did come to a personal relationship with Christ when I, when I came to know Christ in the evangelical world. He was real, present, and it was all of a relationship. But when we begin to talk about the experience of that relationship, which is a difficult discussion to stay in theological bounds on, um, because uh, logic, uh, theological framework, even even traditional within the church, the traditional um, terms and that sort of thing, when you delve into mystical theology, all of that language fails. I mean, tell me what you mean by it when you say you love your wife with all your heart. What is that? I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it, the whole technical aspect begins to fail you. But um, in that framework as well, when you discuss the the true expression of a personal relationship with Christ, it moves into the realm of mysticism. It begins to threaten sola scriptura because ultimately you're saying God and I were – we had communion together. We were together. We, I talked with him and he responded to me. He gave me wisdom and guidance. He – he revealed things to me that I hadn't known prior. Well, when you use those th- terms, you move into the realm of mysticism, which is wholeheartedly rejected as a major threat to a Calvinistic uh, yeah. framework. So it was only <clears throat> prior to my conversion, it was only uh, through that, uh, through Catholic mystical uh, theology, mystical writings, St. Teresa of Avila in particular, that I began to find a place of freedom and um, peace about <clears throat> what it means to really experience Christ, and that you can, and I'm not nuts. And you know, <laughs> there was a an old hymn that was in our hymn books as a Presbyterian that we were not to sing. <laughs> and I, as the senior pastor, confirmed with the music director, "No, let's don't choose this particular hymn. It doesn't represent our theological perspective." But there was always something about it that connected at home with my own experience of Jesus. Because the hymn said, and he walks with me. Oh, and he talks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells tells me I'm his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Mm -hmm. Teresa of Avila. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Would have said yes. Uh, Yes, absolutely. (laughs) No, that's a beautiful hymn. And one that was somewhat confusing for me. In yeah. the world. So if he really does walk with you and talk with you, don't talk about it. That's the first thing, right? <clears throat> <laughs> the audacity of someone to say that Jesus talks to them and they have an experience different or superior. To it. No, it doesn't say better. It's unique. Right. The uniqueness of spirituality in our, our – I mean, there is a mystery. How do we explain the unique intimate relationship with the creator of the universe with every individual person. Well, it, and it begins at the beginning, doesn't it? You, <clears throat> before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 says that you were set apart. And, and then we go to the Psalms and it talks about how Marcus Grodi, that God knew you and knit you together in your mother's womb. And then you go back even further. It says before you were, yeah. God conceived of you in some way and said, I want a relationship with Marcus Grodi. I want a relationship with, and that's true of every living person throughout all time and all of history. He created every one of us uniquely, individually, to enter into a love relationship with us. That's where that great mystery begins. 
And then the Bible and the scripture and tradition teaches us how that mystery unfolds. In the Catholic Church, tradition gives us great insight into this because we have what are called uh, the doctors of the church, who the, the church has determined that their writings are good for all people of all time, in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And in those writings of people like St. Teresa of Avila, St. Francis de Sales, St. John of the Cross, we have in-depth descriptions to the, to the, to the, to the best of the limitations uh, that language will allow of what this passage means that we're actually going to be talking about today. All right. If I allow us to get there, right? <clears throat> you'll let us get there, exactly. <laughs> well, why don't we get to it? I'm going to read it in a moment, but before I read it, maybe tell the audience why this particular passage, did you choose it for us today? Yeah, and some of that uh, I've already revealed. Essentially, prior to becoming Catholic, I was my experience with Christ was radical. Uh, it was nothing less than a true personal experience. It was not a juridical pronouncement, though I believe that it was far beyond that. So I was... I knew Christ in prayer, and I did have times where he walked with me and he talked with me and he told me that I was his own, Mm -hmm. where I had overwhelming joy, where I experienced insights that didn't come from a spreadsheet or any sort of analysis or whatever. But um, as a Calvinist, that was rejected in our theological framework as dangerous. But it was – you know, I couldn't – though I had accepted that framework – I, I was struggling on the spiritual side. I'm saying, yeah, but he did. He did. You know, he did walk with me and talk with me. So, and then you read scripture and you see some ideas in scripture that are very dangerous to that to that Calvinistic framework, or very threatening um, where Christ would reveal Himself. So I'm struggling at that point. So I decided to, you know, I don't even remember how. I wasn't like a cognitive decision point, but I began to look for literature that was more descriptive of the relation, uh, a living relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. So I explored a handful of authors that might might be familiar to you. But in particular, St. Teresa of Avila, when I encountered her writings, though I don't, I, I don't make any claim by saying that, oh, I found, you know, I was a spiritual giant and I found Teresa and she confirmed I was a spiritual giant. <laughs> I'm not saying any of that. Right. But what it did is it said to me, she said to me across time and in eternity, yes, uh, the, there is uh, a to, – to, in the normative Christian life, and this is I think very key, it is normative to know God beyond the intellectual, if you will. It, as I described with my wife, it's normative to know him beyond a contractual relationship. It's It's like – it's normative to to experience him. That doesn't mean that heightened emotional states are are the same as knowing God. That's a little yeah. bit of a difficult challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it does mean that he really isn't this far off, distant creator who set this whole thing in motion, set these laws. If you pray the sinner's prayer, you're in, you're good. It means, you know, he really did say, I'm gonna be with you. We're going to be one. There is this idea of achieving this love relationship and union that is available to us in our walk with him that transcends anything that we can experience in this life, in the earthly, you know, in the material realm. This isn't a tangent again, but given what you said, I'm wondering if one of the reasons from our Calvinist backgrounds that we rejected this ongoing intimacy that involves change is because so much of Calvin's emphasis was on the sovereignty, unchangeability of God. Right. That what that does is completely undercut the meaning of his love for us. Yeah, maybe that's it. Uh, There's something to that. I think the sovereignty of God, though it's a majestic doctrine and and he is sovereign and we believe that as Catholics how that plays out in daily life in the Calvinist framework puts that a bit at a distance yeah it's not quite the blind watchmaker you know he is active in history but he he's in this great deal of control he's measured everything out and he's set laid all the coursework and your job is to find it and maybe that's where the relationship thing is 
Um, but it, it is a bit cold and detached, more detached than I think the doctrine is meant to be um, for us. Again, Calvin was – I believe my perspective is is that he was more of a philosopher than a theologian. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't a, a, you know, a, a, a Thomas Aquinas type philosopher, right. but his logistical arguments mm-hmm. were philosophy. Yeah based on a presumption, once you begin with the sovereignty of God and his unchangeable attributes, then from there everything else has to fit. Right. And as a Catholic, we recognize that, no, we have an unchangeable God, but yet somehow in the mystery of God's character, he can love. Right. He can respond. He even can suffer. And we can know that, not just intellectually, all of that. We can know that. We can engage in the sufferings of Christ somehow, mysteriously, across time. We can, in some sense, participate, as Scripture says, with his sufferings. There is a measure of what he's done in redemption that he's left to or given us or gifted us, wherein we're called to interact with him in the playing out of that great plan. So yes, he's sovereign. Yes, we are to submit. The other thing about the Calvinistic framework that I think mitigates the idea of a living relationship with Christ or makes it more difficult is just the intellectual side of it, just in, just at a very base level. If you enjoy intellectual stimulus and you you like to dig in and, and slice and dice and, and create a taxonomy and uh, make discrete categories, Calvinism is a playground of sorts. The danger that I that I experienced in that was that my faith was very much moving too much uh, as a matter of the head, uh, the intellect, instead of a matter of the heart and, and that relationship with Christ. Well, you know, if, if it, I didn't necessarily believe this, but if everything's predestined and God's sovereign, you know, why pray, for yeah. instance, yeah. you know? I, but I thought, well, I, you pray because you're obedient and it says to pray. Well, but that's different than why I want to be with my wife, right? <laughs> you know. And uh, I'm almost envisioning that we may have a, a Calvinist listening to us. And I think if I were still a Presbyterian pastor and listening to what you said, I might have raised a hand in an objection and said, I, I believe in a personal walk with Jesus Christ. And I, I would almost say, Dan, that I'd almost put the challenge out there that if there's a Calvinist out there that disagrees with what we're saying about Calvinism, that it's because that Calvinist isn't truly a Calvinist. Maybe so. I would. I would. Uh, more of an evangelical strand right. of Calvinism, which is, which is what I was more really a part of. Yeah, and I would. Another challenge would be write down what it means to be personal. You know, describe your relationship with the person you love the most in your life. If if you if you're without a spouse because of loss or you have just your children, I mean, what was the apex of your human experience with another individual? Write out what that was like and what were those experiences, and then ask yourself: Is that would those things describe me and and my relationship with God? If not, maybe personal is not the right word. It might be something. It might be a beginning. It might be a start, but it may not be personal. All right, excellent. I'm going to see if I can read this passage before we take our necessary break here in a bit. John fourteen fifteen through 27. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will live also. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. We'll pause there, Dan, and we'll pick up the rest of that passage after the break. We've got to, we've got to hit this break right on for our radio stations. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Dan Burke. And you're hearing us on EWTN your global Catholic radio network. 
This Deep in Scripture radio program is produced by the Coming Home Network International, a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. You can listen to any of our past radio programs by logging onto our website, which also offers a wealth of information on our Catholic faith, including conversion stories, an online forum, and available resources to help you to find the truth of our faith. Visit us today at www.deepinscripture.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. Your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Dan Burke. We're just having too good a time here talking about <laughs> spiritual uh, issues. and uh, But we want to get into this passage, at least get the passage read and talk about it, yeah. and then we can, can keep talking about spirituality, because I think it's such an important issue, yeah. because it was at the heart of our Lord. Yeah, absolutely. That's the point of this passage. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I just finished reading, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is. Who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not Love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Consular, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Dan, uh, how'd you deal with this before? It was very difficult. I mean, what what do you deal with? How do you deal with the word manifest? I mean, what does that mean? I will manifest myself. In in any rendering, uh, and the English translation is good, it's saying that there's going to be a personal encounter that is rooted in love, that's expressed by our own devotion to him, which he talks about, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But that personal encounter is going to be tangible. He doesn't say, I'm going to come to you in a secret, distant way. He doesn't say, I'm going to come to you through ink and paper. He doesn't say any of those things. (laughs) He says that I'm going to manifest myself. And then he says... The Father, we will make a home, our home with you. See, this this breaks theological language because it's experiential language. It's language that you know you can't. It's it's like me trying to describe to the radio audience what it's like to sit across from you. You smile and you're nodding your head, and we're enjoying it. So they can hear our voices. 
But that is a, a very different and distant thing from what it's like to sit across from you. Yeah. Although they can watch us on the Internet, but that's still not quite the same. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, it's still not quite the same. So, you know, Jesus is, I think, helping us here to understand that though he has to finish his work as uh, in his role on the earth to, to bring about our redemption and his sacrifice, that that isn't the end, that, that idea, it doesn't stop with this idea, but that he will be with us. He'll send the Holy Spirit. But it's not, I have to emphasize, this is not distant, ink and paper, far off stuff. It's, it's just like you and me, or even in a more intimate relationship. It's, it's, and it's why the spiritual writers of the church use the Song of Psalms, which is a very intimate um, very intimate writings between Solomon and and his beloved. Um, but as you can imagine, the, the language of Song of Songs is a language of intimate love between a man and a woman. That's as close as we can get, although it makes us really uncomfortable <laughs> to, <laughs> to talk through. But that's something of what he was saying when he said, I will manifest myself to you. In fact, because uh, um, I want to go back and begin with verse 15, it just struck me that our present Pope, yeah. in his most recent letter, Verbum Domini, uses the word personal uh-huh. 25 times. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm looking at a quote here. For this reason, this is Pope Benedict, for this reason I encourage all the faithful to renew their personal and communal encounter with Christ. Renew the personal and communal encounter with Christ. What he didn't say, similar to Texas, he didn't say, I want y'all, so I moved down to Birmingham, so I'm using y'all. I want y'all to go read up and get a little bit more clear about the delineations of these doctrines, you know, which are important. That's not what he said. Yeah, uh, this is John's gospel he's talking about. From Uh this his personal experience of having met and followed Christ, John, yeah. whom tradition identified the disciple whom Jesus loved, came into a deep certainty. Jesus is the wisdom of God incarnate. I mean, I could go on and on with all these different quotes to, to show you that um, this idea of having a personal encounter with our Lord is a Catholic thing Yes, because our spiritual tradition explains exactly how. Here's one. With the Synod Fathers, I express my heartfelt hope for the flowering of a new season of greater love for sacred scripture on the part of every member of the people of God so that their prayerful and faith-filled reading of the Bible will, with time, deepen their personal relationship with Jesus. Right. So he wants us to love scripture and to know it so that it can lead us to what? To, To... Proper Again, proper the- theological categories, which are important. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> to lead us into a deeper personal relationship with Christ. Uh, Blessed John Paul, the same. He used the same language over and over and over in his writings. And it's obvious that both of, both of these popes that we've been incredibly blessed to be uh, uh, under their wing – uh, really, it's much more than just ideas for them. Which is probably one of the reasons why so many evangelicals were drawn to John Paul II. Particularly oh, I think so. And are, and are seeing the intimacy of Pope. But, but this passage, I will say, Dan, begins almost to confirm where we came from, and that is it almost sounds like love is keeping the commandments. Yes. If yeah. you love me, you will keep my commandments. Yes, yeah. Well, you know, I always go back to the husband and wife thing. It, what does it look like to love your wife? And is it burdensome? What he's doing here is saying, this is what it means to have a properly ordered relationship with me. So I could have a relationship with my wife that's disordered, that could lead me to prison, that could, that could lead me to hell. You know, there, but there is an, a properly ordered relationship with my wife that whereby I honor our marital covenant where she's the only affection of my heart, a female that's the affection of my heart, where I would give my life, as Christ said, I think in Ephesians 5, that I would emulate Christ such that I would die for her, uh, that I would love her with all that I am. So there's what he's doing is saying, 
first, this is the normal relationship, and that is that we are in union with respect to what it is that we're all about. I'm God. This is what I care about. If you are in union with me about these things, which the the commandments express either in the the Decalogue or other areas that Christ has explicitly emphasized, like loving your neighbor as yourself, which right. which you'll do if you, you honor the Ten Commandments. But those uh, describe for us, in a sense, the foundation of living a life of grace in a state of grace, which means I have not fundamentally rejected God on a personal level. So if I have an affair with my uh, with another woman, when I engage with my wife, I'm engaging in deceit. I'm engaging mm-hmm. in something that is only partially true or uh, even worse. So when I engage with God, the commandments or the law of God is what helps us to understand if we are face-to-face with him. If we're, if we're facing away from our spouses or away from God, then we're doing and engaging in things that are contrary to the fundamental framework of that relationship. So when Jesus says, you'll know that You'll know who the, who loves me. They keep my commandments, or you love me, or, or I, th- this is how you know that John in John in his letters emphasizes this as well. But it's not a if you. It doesn't mean if you do the checklist. That means everything is good, deep, wonderful, and as best as it can be. That's not what he's saying there. Because in other places he would say, "You've heard it said that if you you should not commit adultery," but he says. You're looking at somebody wrong. That's adultery. Because he's trying to get them to see that it's it's an intimate. You're seeing in the outside what's at your intimate core. Right. It's an interior matter, not, and that shows on the outside. Right. So yeah. we got to dig deeper. Where your treasure is, there was your heart. So that's where, it's, and that's what, of course, Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross and, and the sales are really getting at. Yeah. In fact, one time, De Sales was saying in in, in his book was. Was was arguing against those that think you begin with the spiritual life by cleaning up the outside. No, because it's at the heart. Introduction to the devout life you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. It is at the heart. It's at the heart. So that's what he's, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because at the core of your being, obviously keeping your commandments is because you've been changed on the inside. Yeah. That's what's going to show. The next part, you can almost hear someone say, how am I going to do that? He yeah. says, well, verse 16, I will pray the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you desperate. I will come to you. Yeah, and the Holy Spirit, and that it's a beautiful promise. It's, uh, he says, this is, how, this is the foundational element of a love relationship. So what happens if you struggle with that? We know we have an advocate before the Father to help us and to pray on our behalf and to pray for us and to work in us and through us to understand what it really does mean to love Christ. Yeah, and wow, this um, the indwelling of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes I'm wondering if that was more emphasized in evangelicalism than it is today in Catholicism. Well, certainly in the charismatic uh, yeah. realm, uh, the charismatics in the evangelical and the Catholic world, both ha- are much more open to this idea of intimacy with God. Now, certainly, uh, those some elements of those movements go off the rails a bit because they completely forget doctrine and that the object of our faith must be as true as the relationship with, with, with him. So, but yeah, it, it's, it is a beautiful truth, and it gives me a great deal of comfort to know that, you know, if somebody's listening and says, well, you know, I, I, I believe we have the beautiful prayer uh, of the centurion to, to Christ, right? <laughs> I believe, please help my unbelief. Well, Jesus, in a sense, in this passage is answering how it is that the Trinity will indwell in us, will work in us to help him take that small kernel of belief and turn it into something more glorious. But, you know, that involves our will. That involves us pursuing him. You know, if you read any of the classic works on successful marriage. There's this principle for a man that you never stop pursuing your wife. And if you never stop pursuing, you'll always find a response. Uh, 
that is one of love and reciprocal love and openness to that love. Um, the same is true with God in the sense that if we never stop pursuing, he, either he's a liar or those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be fulfilled, will, will find it. Those who desire a relationship with God will find it. We're going to take another break here. When we get back, we're going to look at the phrase, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. All right. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. Your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Dan Burke, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are interested in learning more about our Catholic faith, or if you know someone who is interested in becoming Catholic, please visit our website at www.chnetwork.org or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Dan Burke. There's so much that uh, we'd love to speak on. And, of course, the passage I just talked about is this intimacy. Jesus says, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And the question arises, how do I do that? It's one of you guys would be talking about all the different theology. Right. But how? Yeah. Well, the great spiritual masters of the church, this is the good news of being Catholic, is we have a depth of resource uh, to go to that really you can't exhaust You've mentioned uh, some some ideas from Introduction to the Devout Life by yeah. St. Francis of Sales. Um, St. Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle or Her Life. Um, those are a, a, a few great places to, to, to begin. And also Father Thomas Dubay. Oh, sure. Um, he wrote a, a book called Prayer Primer, Igniting the Fire Within, and then later um, The Fire Within, which is about St. Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross. That really is some of the best work in the church today on answering the question of how. But essentially, uh, what to answer that in a real practical level, it's what Pope Benedict was calling us to, uh, the quote that you read earlier, where he says, I want you to grow in your, in your uh, love and, and digging into Scripture, if you will, so that you can develop this personal relationship. So the great saints have said that meditation on Scripture, personalizing Scripture, entering into the scene with Scripture as you pray. So what does that look like? So as an example, one day I was praying through uh, Scripture and meditating on the woman at the well. Now this is going to sound really strange because I essentially became the woman at the well. And, and I'm, so I'm the man at the well and I'm in the story. And I realized the light went on in my head. So I'm thinking, Jesus is, I'm going to the well. I'm living this life of sin. I see Jesus off in the distance. Back up as the, uh, the narrator of the story, I also know that he's God, that he arranged this meeting. And when we come together, he doesn't say, go get me something. He doesn't <laughs> say, you know, you've been a sinner. What's the matter with you? You did all this bad stuff. He said to me, I thirst. Is there, he's asking me to engage with him. And I'm unclean. I'm a Samaritan, right? He's the God of the universe. And I, what is he doing asking me to be in a relationship with him, to engage with him? So this is the way the great spiritual masters have, have taught us to bring Scripture alive in our minds, to dig in. But to do that, you really have to be silent. You have to set time aside. You have to learn how to pray in this manner. Spiritual direction can be a great help. And yeah. Some of these authors we've talked about. Yeah, you mentioned, uh, I just noticed recently because I've been, just happened to be focusing a lot on DeSales uh, recently. And he, he, he sets up this pattern where you begin by putting yourself in God's presence. Mm -hmm. And which is interesting is that the four ways that he has us imagine the presence of God is number one, you can just remember that God is always present with you. Acknowledge that he's there. So sit down and say, Lord, I'm grateful for you being with me now. Please help me to understand you. Please engage with me in this process and help me to transcend the words and the 
But go ahead. I'm sorry. I well, that's fine. No, no. Yeah. But I was one of the four ways besides he's always present. He's looking down at us. But one of those is remembering that he's here. Yeah. In your heart. Right. And you begin there. Your prayer. You remember that he, he indwells you. Yeah. And then he has you use your imagination to yeah. to uh, after you invoke his presence. You you imagine like you said that story, whatever it is you're reading. And then you use your intellect to contemplate. Well, what does this mean for me? Yeah. yeah. Right. What What does this mean? And then the effect on my will. Yeah. Yeah. What's it going to do? How's it going to change me? That is a key point. And and really, if you're wondering what does it look like, okay, so let's let's say you sit down and you do all of this and you walk away and you're feeling kind of dry. But if at the end of that prayer time you have had some insight in Scripture and what God's calling to you to do and you put that into effect, I promise you, and it's not my promise, it's the promise of the church and of Scripture, you're going to find God. You're going to meet him in ways that you never thought were possible. But it's also the test of true experience of God. You're not going to find any mystics that are true mystics or or so-called who are living lives that are contrary. Remember, Jesus said, if you love me, you you keep my commandments. But you will find that people who do truly encounter God do experience substantive change in their lives. The things that they, they did once in the past with joy may be replaced by things that give them joy, which are radically different, but much more wholesome or pure or good for other people and for themselves. So that really is the test. So regardless of what you feel in that work that you do, as you described with Francis de Sales and, and St. Ignatius has a, a similar pattern in the way he recommends that we meditate on Scripture, okay. living the life of faith, living the life of God, if you pursue him, he, you will find him. In fact, most of those writers, which you're writing the book on, so who am I to do? But, but essentially divide this spiritual walk with Christ into two regions mm-hmm. where the first region is mostly our ascetical practices. Right. But at some point in this journey, a passive change happens. Yes, yes. Yeah, in the ascetical life, it's really the life where we're saying, you're God, I'm not. What are your commandments, by the way? What can I do? And you begin to examine your life in light of what, uh, of the very clear revelation that we have through through Scripture and tradition to as to what his will is. And we begin to live those things out. And those can be very difficult. Uh, we have to recognize the Holy Spirit is always with us always going to help us. But nonetheless, they often uh, mean taking serious battle, doing serious battle with our own sins, patterns of sin and selfishness. That's the ascetical life. The mystical life comes after sometimes long battles in the ascetical life. And And that transition occurs when God begins. It's like a little baby at the bottom of a staircase. Uh, where the baby is trying to get up the stairs and, you know, you can imagine him bumping his head and then sitting down and in his <laughs> diaper and crying and then getting up again and then trying to climb. Maybe he gets up a stair and gets tired. He can't quite get up. The ascetical life is that, you know, you're bumping and you're struggling and you're, you're scratching. But at some point, because of the work of God and the grace of God, the baby will see, will see the father at the top of the stairs and will look up and recognize that's how I get up and raise his arms up. What father can resist? <laughs> what father can resist to come down? That's the beginning of the mystical life, that raising of the arms. So yes, the work is being done. You, you can't you can't bypass that. But it's the raising of the arms, recognizing I can't. I've, I'm as far as I can get. And then the Lord comes and meets us and lifts us. And this transitional period uh-huh. which John of the Cross call, calls a dark night yes and others are are something not only that the world does not understand but many Christians do not understand for example a good example of that is mother teresa when her private letters were published mm-hmm. which were supposed to be burned mm-hmm. and she admits to her confessor that for many years she struggled with feeling this distance from God, yeah. Teresa of Avila or John of the Cross was said, well, she's in the passive purgation of the Spirit. She's in that much yes. deeper time. But if you don't understand that, 
how do you endure? And, and sometimes that period, it, whether it's the active night or the passive, it can be a great period of suffering. Some of us, it's physical suffering on on the temporal level. Some of it's spiritual suffering. Uh, God, you know, there's another time in the uh, of a child's uh, development where uh, you're you're at the breast of your mother, but uh, at some point your mother sets you down and takes you away from that consolation, that beautiful, warm, safe place, and sets you down to walk. And sometimes. As you're trying to walk, she'll let go of you, and and good mothers will sometimes let you fall. Well, that's a, an analogy that, in some way, begins to capture sometimes these periods. Mm. Sometimes the fall hurts. Sometimes the absence of mommy, uh, it it forces us to, in a sense, own the action and what we need to do. But in some sense, it makes us pursue the end of that walking and that spiritual walking in a way that we wouldn't have been able to otherwise. We wouldn't grow. We wouldn't learn to walk if she wouldn't release us. So God at times releases us. Uh, yeah. And, and if he, he might feel distant, but he's never really distant. And I can't remember which book I saw it in, but it was a book that had two tables next to each other. And one was a table of the signs of depression. Uh-huh list. Yeah. And the other one was the signs of the dark night of the soul. Oh, and they yes. were almost identical. Oh, yes. So the point is, if you don't know, yeah. you might treat it with the wrong stuff. Right, right. Well, you might not recognize, no, this is a good work. That God's working in you. Yes. Uh, it reminds me of a quote from T.S. Eliot in which he says that the way up and the way down are one and the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really how you respond. The, you know, I think it's Corinthians where St. Paul said the sorrow of the world, the sorrow of God leads to repentance. The sorrow of the world leads to death. So in those times of difficulty and suffering, the way that we find redemption is really to do what, uh, what, she, what uh, Teresa did, and that is turn to him, trust him, rest him, keep working, keep striving. Well, Dan, it's great to have you on the show today. I just want to remind the audience you're the executive director of the National Catholic Register. If people want to know more about that, they can go to www.ncregister.com. Exactly. They got it right. But thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute delight. We'll have to do this again. Yeah, I would love to. It it would be great. We didn't even cover all the passage. We had such a good time talking about the spiritual life. Uh, But I do think that's an important thing. And I'll encourage everyone listening to keep your eyes out for for Dan Burke's book that he's working on on spiritual direction. Uh, and as he said, uh, Father Dubé is also one that if you go to EWTN.com, you can find some good stuff. Yeah. So, Dan, thank you. Thank you. All of you, thank you. God bless. Be with you again next week.